In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me, that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins and the grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me. As we continue in this second week of Advent, we want to get into the meaning of Advent as a coming of our Lord into our lives. We are getting ready. We can think of Mary as she got ready through her pregnancy. We can only imagine how she would be so excited at seeing the face of God and then discovering actually that his face, the face of Jesus, is actually her face because as we know, there is no human uh, or there's no male seed in in the conception of Jesus, since it was the Holy Spirit that intervened. And all of the humanity of Jesus, therefore, is assumed from Mary. And so Jesus must have really looked like Mary. And this is exactly what happens, what will happen when Jesus comes into our own lives, he wants to actually come into our lives and incarnate himself once again in, in everything that we do. He wants to ennoble everything that we do and raise it up to the level of the divine. The moment when Jesus comes into our lives, we could say, is the moment that we notice our vocation, what our vocation is, what our ultimate end is. And that could happen when we say yes to God in, in the big moments of life. Let's say we, you know, somebody gets married, they, the moment of their wedding is a, is a very big moment when they say, I do, to one another before God and the church. And that certainly is a moment of vocation. Another moment is when Somebody gets ordained, the priest gets ordained, or a religious makes a vow. And, and or when anybody commits themselves to our Lord. And notably, all of us have a vocation to holiness. All of us have a vocation to being a saint starting from our baptism. And reaffirmed, made stronger, literally, at our confirmation. That's the, the primordial vocation of the Christian. And this vocation, this call, is a call to being perfect, like our Heavenly Father is perfect. You know, we read in St. Paul's letter to the Ephesians, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing on high in Christ, even as he chose us in him, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blemish in his sight, in his love. Well, these words reveal something about that vocation to holiness that we receive at baptism and that we actually continue to receive every day. 
And it is that our Lord has chosen us before the foundation of the world. St. Maria and his homily on the Christian vocation, which is really a homily that he preached during Advent, we read how he is really impressed with the vocation of the apostles. And he says, I am greatly encouraged whenever I consider a written precedent for what we have been talking about. We find it step by step in the gospel's account of the vocation of the first 12. Let's meditate on it slowly, asking those holy witnesses of our Lord to help us follow Christ as they did. And St. Maria comments on the fact that these men were chosen from before the foundation of the world, like St. Paul says, precisely to carry out a mission that was way above their heads, way above their possibilities. In fact, they didn't have any money. They were not rich. Maybe Matthew was rich. He was a tax collector. Maybe. But, I mean, nothing nothing to speak of, really. If you're going to found the universal church and you're going to carry it out, no, not really. You don't have the means. They were not really that virtuous. I mean, certainly they had virtues and things, but they also had vices. They were thinking about who would be the greatest all the time. So they were kind of prideful, vain, and conceited, self-centered, you know, maybe like all of us. It's such a consoling fact that the apostles had the same defects that a lot of us do, so that they can give us hope of being able to do what they did if we allow the Holy Spirit to enter into our lives. Talent, maybe they had talents. Yes, of course they had talents, but not much. I mean, they were they they did not have the the talents of um, of leadership. I mean, they all flee right at the moment of darkness. Maybe St. Paul, you know, yes, he was a leader, but he was too proud. You know, he had to be, um, he had to learn humility as well. Um, they were not that holy yet to begin with. And they did not have position or standing in society. I mean, they were kind of fishermen and, um, I mean, they were not... Alexander the Great, or they were not, you know, Caesar or some a noble or anything like that, not even a high priest. So it's kind of uh, strange that our Lord would actually pick these twelve people, and um, and others like Saint Paul, who's not part of the twelve, but he's also an apostle, to to basically start the church and get it going in 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 the whole Roman world. I don't think you or I would ever pick these kind of people for this uh, corporate team, you know, but God did. And that's because the vocation, the call comes from before the foundation of the world. Now, what does this mean? With St. Josemaria's words here, we could say, let's consider it slowly. We have to consider this slowly. Why? Because it's very subtle. What does it mean to consider that we have received a vocation from before the foundation of the world. Does that mean that it's like an, a really, really old vocation? It's almost like your father gave you a gift, but he chose the gift, you know, um, many years ago. And now you're opening it up now and it's, 
maybe, you know, maybe it was a, an old book, or at least when you open it, it's going to be old. You're like, well, or it's a, it's a car, but it's like a Model T Ford, you know, because he, he wrapped it up uh, and he gave you the gift, you know, 100 years ago. And you're like, well, I'm, what am I going to do with this, you know? Um, it's kind of out of date or the clothes is out of fashion. Why is this the way that our vocation is? It's, it's so old that, you know, it's irrelevant to us now. And we're kind of opening up a really, really old gift that was given to us or supposed to have been given to us really early on, but you know, we never really, um, were able to receive it until now. No. Now, what does before the foundation of the world mean? It doesn't mean that the gift of the vocation is really old and it's kind of irrelevant. It means that it's outside of time. Before the foundation of the world, before there was time. And basically what that means is that our vocation is eternal. And that God thought of our mission first and then he created us. He did not think of us and then scratched his head, as it were, and then asked himself, now what am I going to do with this person that I just created? I don't know. Well, maybe, yeah, okay, maybe I could see him do this. Okay, it's kind of like a retrofitted thing. Our vocation is a secondary thought. It's kind of a, um, you know, an afterthought. It's like when, I don't know, a carpenter makes a, um, Blessed Albert used this example, makes a chair and says, well, what am I going to do with this? Uh, it's kind of a defective chair. Well, maybe I could flip it over and put a coat on it or something, make it a, a coat rack. Well, I could do that. Um, no, it's not like that. Our Lord thinks of us first. Then he gives us all the wherewithal we need in order to accomplish our mission. So when we are created... We have everything we need in order to accomplish our mission, which means that this lack of money, lack of talent, lack of virtue, lack of standing in society or whatever is all considered. It's all factored into the equation so that we can carry out our mission. You know, St. John Chrysostom says, had Jesus chosen men of reputation and power and prestige and money and wealth and talent in order to found the church, people would have thought or could have thought that the reason why the church spread is because of all this talent that these people had. But the fact that he chose fishermen is a testimony to our Lord's working through them, through the fact that this is the Holy Spirit. This is a testimony of, of the Holy Spirit working through the apostles because the apostles would not have been able to do what they accomplished, you know, especially giving witness to the point of martyrdom, you know, especially after having run away. But our Lord allowed their weaknesses, allowed the fact that they ran away, allowed their sins so that they could actually... And they and the whole world could realize that this is God acting through these faulty instruments and that he is calling them with an eternal vocation. What does eternal mean? Eternal means outside of time. It doesn't get old. And if it's outside of time, it means that it's happening now. Eternal means more than we think, oh, that 
you know, living with someone I don't like or something like that is like, oh, that's an eternity. It could seem like an eternity, meaning it's the infinite repetition of the same down through, you know, one year and another year and another year. It just seems forever and ever. But that's not what eternity is. Eternity means nothing changes. It means it's always in the moment. It's always in the present. So if it's if our vocation is from before the foundation of the world, which is the same thing as outside of time, which means it's eternal, that means it's as pristine then as it is now and always. Nothing changes. It's always new. It's always new. It's like love. It's like the moment of love. It's always a beautiful moment. And we can almost savor the moment when we fell in love and then realize, oh my gosh, hours and hours have passed. And I have, I, I, I was just, uh, you know, taken by the memory of, you know, when I fell in love with my wife or whomever, my spouse or, and, and people lose track of time when they are contemplating because somehow they are participating a little bit in eternity, in this eternity of love. That's what eternity is like. It's like this sweet moment of, of love. And so that when we think of vocation, that's what we think of. It's this call of love. And at the same time, we, we you know, St. Jose Maria said that, well, we will notice our defects, those, moments, that, those shortcomings. There will be moments when we get sad. There will be moments when we question our vocation, our call to holiness, because we're not holy at all. And besides the fact that we have all these other kind of zeros, as he called them, he says in the way, cast away that despair produced by the realization of your weakness. It's true. Financially, you are a zero and socially another zero and another in virtues and another in talent. But to the left of those zeros is Christ. Think of those, think of a number. And what an immeasurable figure it turns out to be. Christ is like the one, you know, next to all the zeros. So the more zeros you have, if Christ stands, you know, at the left of all those zeros, it becomes like 1 million or 10 million or 50 or 100 million. And the more zeros, the greater the number. But only the greater the number when Jesus stands next to us, when, when we let Jesus in our lives, in our zeros, so that he can actually make all those zeros, transform them from being zero, 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 zero into, you know, millions and millions and millions. That's how we should think of our lives and even of our defects. We have a vocation that is always present. God is always calling us to come out of ourselves, to come out of our defects. We should never question that. Now, who questioned his vocation? We can this this Advent we will consider the figure of, of um, Zachary or Zachariah in the in the Gospel of Luke, along with that of Mary. Now, Zachariah was the or Zachary, however, whatever you prefer. He was the father of John the Baptist, and he was told of his vocation that he was going to, you know, have this great favor uh, given to him, which was the gift of a child, and that he was 
he and his wife were going to conceive a child in their old age. And that was, that's a great miracle because they thought that they had been kind of cursed or left behind because they, because Elizabeth was, couldn't have children. And so while Zachary is in the temple offering incense, the angel Gabriel appears to him and the angel Gabriel tells him, you're going to have this, this child and you're going to call him John. But Zachary said to the angel, how shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife is advanced in years. Zachary doubted. He doubted. He doubted the angel. And what happens to him because he doubted? The angel answered and said, I am Gabriel who stand in the presence of God. And I have been sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you shall be dumb and unable to speak until the day when these things come to pass because you have not believed my words which will be fulfilled in their proper time so zachary asks a question which calls into question the credibility of the of his call that he had that that was announced by the angel gabriel and gabriel punishes him um which is really a blessing right to to be mute for nine months until the day that John the Baptist is born. And maybe this being mute is, a, I say, a blessing because it allowed Zachary to contemplate about the favors of God that he had received and to actually become thankful that he had received this great grace to actually, you know, uh, be able to kind of go on a retreat, a silent retreat, you could say, and contemplate what the meaning of his mission was and the mission of his son. This allowed him to actually then praise God, and that's the prayer that that the church prays every day in the morning prayer of the Liturgy of the Hours, the Benedictus, which is the canticle of Zachary. Really a beautiful prayer that praises God and blesses God for all the gifts that we have received. So, even our mistakes shouldn't take us away from God. Even our mistakes shouldn't shouldn't make us question the call of God. Because our Lord is always calling us back. It's interesting, in the gospel, if you read um, the passages where our Lord calls certain people, the gospel uses this word, Mark, Matthew... Uh, actually, all four. Um, John uses it twice. Luke uses it once. The word to look at is, in, in Greek is emblepso. Emblepso. And it, it, it means that it's used in the sense that Jesus looks at, like the rich young man, he looks at him intently. He loves him and, and looks at him, you know. And this look is a call. That's when he calls him. You know, he looks at him and then he calls him. And it's interesting because it's the same word that is used after Peter's denials. When in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus looks at Peter and then Peter goes off and cries. It's the same word. So we could think that that look of love, which called him at the very beginning of his of his. Uh, apostleship is the same look 
that hasn't changed. It's still there. It's as intense as it was before when he has sinned. And it's always there calling him back. Always there calling him back to a life of repentance and a life of love. So I think that's why the Pope, Pope Francis, chose as his motto, Miserando adque eligendo, which comes from a homily uh, about St. Matthew by a father of the church, I believe it's uh, St. Blaise, who describes the call of Matthew and Jesus kind of having mercy on him and at the same time as he has mercy on him and forgives him, he's calling him all at once. It's kind of having mercy and choosing him all at once. It's the same motion, so to speak. So whenever he calls us, he's also forgiving us. And whenever he forgives us, he's also calling us. That's what we have to think our call is. So even, even our sins, yes, we have to reject them. Yes, we have to go to confession. Yes, we have to do penance for them. But they should not discourage us from thinking that God doesn't love me or that he's not, no longer calling me because my vocation doesn't change. God does not revoke his gifts. Once he gives them, he gives them forever. And they're always there as a sign that, that he is loving us today. Well, with this consideration of the Christian vocation, let us turn to Mary and ask her to give us faith in the fact that we have been called to holiness, and that we have been called to repentance, even when we sin, that that call is always there. It's as if, you know, nothing had changed, because our Lord is always seeking us out with his look of love, so that we too can participate in the mission of the apostles in building up the church and bringing Christ to everyone. That's exactly what Mary did. Unlike Zachary, she did not question the vocation uh, that was announced to her, she her question, which she asked the angel Gabriel, was, how will this be since I do not know man? In other words, she was not questioning whether what the angel said was true. Her question really was an implicit yes. She had already said yes, and she wanted to, she was deliberating upon the means so that she could, you know, you do something in order to be able to fulfill the demands of the vocation that she had just received. So it was really an implicit yes, even before she knew what to do. That's a response of faith. And that's the same response that you and I can have to our baptismal call and to the specific call that we have received after that. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations which you have communicated to me in this meditation. I ask your help to put them into effect. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me.